So you're telling me this is Eddie Van Halen? Uh, well, this is Michael Jackson, but the solo and the lead guitar in this song is played by Eddie Van Halen. I hear it. Don't, I was going to say. No, I completely. No, I mean, I never put two and two together, but now it's like my. I, I have seen the light. Oh yeah, gosh, yeah. I got to stay light and stay on the There's lane. There's a lot of things you don't know, Francis. Gosh, I know this that. This is one of them. So, so if you ever watch the music video, he's he's in the music video. I mean, he's walking across. They could like a little diner or something. He's walking just across the top it. of the tables. Just beat it. Okay. All right. All right. Turn that off. We're gonna get busted. <laughs> okay. We're roading and driving again. We're doing more of that. We do that a lot. Oh, what do we have to do here? Stay. Maybe on the right side. We're gonna go over to the right here. This is where we missed this exit last time. I it remember was probably this when I was driving. I think you were. I know you were driving because we missed a lot of exits while you were doing that. Um, but now we're on the right path. This is what we want. Fifty-seven North Yahtzee. Um. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I got that little tidbit about Eddie Van Halen out of the way. Now I'm gonna go find a bunch more Eddie Van Halen and put it on my playlist because, well, why not? <laughs> he was awesome. <laughs> yeah, Eddie rocks. Yeah. So I think we had a cool topic we were talking about just before we were talking about it. We decided to hit the record button. So we could come at this cold uh, with some notes, but we're going to come at it cold because we have not discussed this. Um, some of the most common mistakes. You know, we recently got the chance to shoot the gap grind. And after some thought and looking into it, we got to talking a little bit and noticed there were a lot of commonalities. Meaning we found some things that most of the newer shooters were doing that we had to correct or you had to correct a lot of them constantly I saw and noticed a few things that many shooters were doing outside of pressing triggers um, I was mostly on wind calls um, but I noticed a lot of things about prep and attitude and you know preparedness that um, I thought it would be really good to talk about those because if we see 10 out of, almost 10 out of 10 shooters doing that in our squads and other adjacent squads you can bet more often than not I bet it's pretty common yeah, and what's on my mind is not just our squad um, no, and exactly. not just that match. And it's, um, you know, a summary of all the matches that I've shot over time and thinking back and relating it to different different uh, shooters and different experiences and different ranges and stuff like that. So I feel like uh, any of the thing we talk about, you know, I'm not trying to single out anybody in particular. This is hopefully something that people can take away from and whether you're an amateur or whether you're get, just getting started or whether you're a pro and uh shooting in that you know yeah. above that 50 percent mark at pro matches which that's what they considered pro at the gap grind um there's a lot of people that fit in that category that that might just need to flip the switch and, and start thinking about things a little differently or be more open-minded i think the more that people shoot the more that they do narrow re- yeah, yeah narrow they narrow mind. their focus or they resist the change or they resist not even consciously they resist um, or they, they, they keep staying in what they've done and thinking that they if they just do it more, that they'll get better at it. And that's yeah. definitely not the case. Yeah, it's a little bit of selection bias, right? I mean, there's a yeah. concept that if you think something you've done has led to success and you've confer- in your brain you've confirmed that's what caused result X, but it's not really causal. It was sort of something else or a combination of other things. You may not... You may be able, you may be overlooking the fact that this other really basic fundamental isn't as strong as you think, and it's actually holding you back in ways that are 
masked by other areas or it exacerbates other flaws. So, yeah, I thought the same thing. And that just, I mean, that doesn't apply just to them. It applies to me. Like, there's some things that I saw them like, yeah, I got to be conscious of that more and go practice it to be out of, to get out of the habit of breaking that habit, so to speak. And that's a bad thing to do. Don't do that. Do this. Become better as a result. Yeah, I think the really cool thing for us to even be talking about this topic is that it also forces us to look inward and make sure that we're squared away on all these things that we're thinking about and talking mm-hmm. about. Because a lot of the stuff that we do now it happens autonomously without us even thinking about it. And there's a lot of things that I think that you and I are both pretty darn good at that we don't even think about. And um, they, those are the things that I think stood out the most to me when I was watching people that weekend. Um, that there's things that we just take for granted that we just our body and our rifle and our you know our process flushes out because we've worked on it so many times that, yeah. that other shooters don't realize but i also think that there could be things that the ams were really good at that we could that could refresh our memory of things that you know what we need to go back and focus on certain things um that we've taken for granted i, I think they give a couple right away i think it could yep. go both ways so mm-hmm. i don't want to lose sight of those hopefully the discussion doesn't go in a way that we don't circle back to that because I'm all about learning, man. I feel like I can learn something from anyone. I told that to everyone this weekend. So that, you know, that was part of the fun for me was, um, every, like you said, I think in the last step, one of the episodes where we talked about the gap grind, it was, everybody's different. Every, every am was different. Um, we, they all had slightly different skill sets and, and variation of experience. And then they all had different equipment and all this stuff. So, you know, having to interface with all those different personalities and different calibers and different sets of equipment was like something that we got to experience and learn from. And, and, um, it made us step back and think about things, um, all the elements, the basic elements of, of getting the shooters on target and scrutinize all those things instead of just assuming that we were all shooting the same caliber with the same zero, with the same speed and all that stuff. We had to really think about it really hard to, to help each shooter differently. Yeah, um, I think we should cook this off with a compliment sandwich, so to speak. So maybe structure it that way. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's not really split that, what I mean by that. I don't mean the negative way. If you don't know what I'm talking about, a compliment sandwich is where... I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, really? No. Um, so it, oh, oh, we call it... bookends on Bookends, yeah. Okay. Uh, positive, yeah, Something negative, really positive, positive, something negative, and then something positive again. I got it. Okay, yeah, that's a good so way to do it. It's a compliment sandwich. Um, so some of the things that... One of the things that I truly learned from our squad that I had to be reminded of coming into that match um, I was really feeling burned out about two weeks a week prior I don't know was it two weeks or one week we shot the Michigan match um, well no it was a regional finale yeah a regional finale at Michigan yeah. um, it was a week or two before and going into that match I was just like I don't want to be here I, I really didn't want to I didn't want to shoot I was not burned out but I recognize that at the end of the season it gets really long we we have other things we want to focus on and we want to go get back at it and get refreshed well i really wanted just a straight two week not sh- shooting but shooting on my own terms type of and shooting on my own terms means not going to matches if i'm being honest it means yeah. practicing here practicing there having a very specific plan and not feeling rushed or pressured to get it done within the one and a half hours i have to make it work and anything over that and i am late for something else that's not how I want to feel and I didn't get that and that that match set me into a really weird place where I felt just not happy to be there I shot okay you know I shot pretty average for me um 
and that said, it still went okay, but I had to take two weeks to reset from that or a week and a half to reset and then have to get back on the horse for that, for the gap grind. And, you know, I can't go to the gap grind with a bad attitude. That's exactly the, the, that's the worst possible scenario for me would be to go to a match like the gap grind where you're supposed to be the role model for 10, at a minimum 10, more like 20 and more like 200 amateurs. Exactly. 200. (laughs) I mean, if you think your squad versus your squad plus AMs and then also the all of the ams and pros so it's really 400 people i'm still waiting to see how this is a compliment sandwich um i learned <laughs> the enthusiasm and the you like the positivity from almost every single amateur i saw was infectious yeah I was and that's what i learned i learned watching them they were asking questions more most of the time they were asking questions and oh, that was really cool. And when they would clean a stage, like when you get to see the eyes on someone who cleans a stage that hasn't or one that they think they're never going to, it's the coolest thing in the world to get you reinvigorated to think, you know, this is so freaking cool. Like it really is that cool that we can take these tiny little things that weigh 100 to 140 grains, you know, and launch them hundreds of yards downrange through various conditions and impact exact within inches of where Way we want to cool, put man. them. I, I, every time we shoot that bowling pin stage at K&M, I'm, I, I think the same exact <laughs> thought. I'm like, stage. I'm blown away oh, at what man. we're able to do. I mean, it's and we started... It's a three-inch wide bowling pin at 550? Is that the right yardage at the far berm? I think it's somewhere around somewhere 550, right around 560. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just amazing. Tiny, half, three inches wide. Yeah, and Oof. our AMs, like talk, you're talking about the look on faces, and we... I think both our amps started with cleans. Yeah. <laughs> the first stage of the match. And then the bowling pin stage, I cleaned it. I think you dro- only dropped, dropped one. one on the last and my started. am only dropped one. And we were shooting the same course, course of, fire. of fire. He, <laughs> this young man, 14 years old, uh, shot whatever that smallest bowling pin is. I think he missed the last one. So he shot the fourth target, smallest bowling pin in the, um, in the pair. And, and then he shot the big bowling pin. He dropped one shot out of those targets. And those were small, narrow targets. You know what it takes. It takes a good position, it, good bag control. Great and a perf- rifle, great and, gear, too. And, yeah, good gear and a, um, and a perfect trigger pull, mm-hmm. like perfect trigger press. press I, told him, through. I told him, you'll, you'll walk home with some hardware from this match, hopefully, if you make the best trigger pulls all weekend. And he really he took he that did. to heart. So that was awesome. Yeah, so that was what I learned. Enthusiasm. You, the lesson number one keep the enthusiasm and if you're if you're not if you're fighting the enthusiasm like and you're like oh i just don't know step away go do something else for a hot second and knowing that you're doing it in order to get the enthusiasm back that's my that's one of the lessons i learned from this match it is extraordinarily helpful it will refocus and resharpen reset your mind to help you get back into the game with the most focus because it is extremely difficult to play this game as it is it's immeasurably more difficult to play this game with the negativity in the back of your mind that's I don't really want to be here but I think you used and we try, we try to say not to do this but you use an external motivator to do that and that's that's okay it's just better if you can find a way a process or something that you can do yourself to get yourself back in the zone and sometimes the only recommendation I can have is like um, you know like you said walk away um, think about how awesome what we're doing is think about how awesome the facility is and awesome the 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 people are around you sometimes a snack like whatever your favorite food is whatever your you know munchie is like go back to your pack 
grab something. Yeah, put it in like the emergency pack section yeah. where it's like only use in case of an emergency. <laughs> and when you really have one go sideways, yeah. time for the emergency superfood. I use my environment to tell me things like um, if I have to take off my jacket, I spin my kestrel. Um, if this, if I feel the sun on my back, I put my hood up. If I'm feeling hungry, I get a snack. If I'm feeling down, I'll go get some electrolytes and put it in a water bottle and drink it. Like those are those are cues that you need to do something to change physically. You need to do something to change your what you're feeling at that moment. Yep. And if you can just you know move the needle and progress your self and your mindset throughout the day. Um, when you feel those environmental or physical stressors, um, find something to just jog your memory and get back in the game. I, I think that's so. You said the positive things. Yep. I think one positive. of the one, one of the first uh, opportunities for improvement. I will say, with just about every am I saw was focus, lack of focus. Hundred percent agree with and, that. And you know, you would see them sitting, and you know, awesome, they're sitting in the shade. That's one thing I'll say is don't sit down in the sun. Um, find a spot in the shade unless the you're cold unless you're cold yeah <laughs> <laughs> but even cold and sun will still zap you this the direct sunlight i still try to avoid so if you're cold put your jacket back on yeah face away um, from the sun face away from the sun man i love the sun but uh, three days in the sun without sunscreen number one put sunscreen on but even with sunscreen will still take energy from you but you should always be doing something um and stay engaged because I saw uh, quite a few wrong target engagements. I saw quite a few people hunting for targets. And if nothing else, you should be on glass watching people shoot. Um, I, I, I just don't want to see. And, and okay, do what you got to do. If you, if you need to walk away and just zone out for a minute, that's cool. But, but I saw it far too often. Um, and this was supposed to be a, a learning opportunity for all the AMs. And I, I get it. Like, this is their first match or their, you know, third or fourth match. Um, I, I get it. Not everybody is, is going out there to win and they're there to have fun. Um, but if you really want to get better, I would use every single second of every day of the match to do something to advance your mindset or your gear or whatever, you know. I would ask questions that I saw when I saw people sitting on the sidelines just not even looking downrange, I would just ask them something about their rifle, you know, is your dope dialed, is your parallax set, or yep, something same. like that. And they would not have that answer, and it would jog them to go over and check it, and sure enough, it, it wasn't ready to go. So those are the, the types of things I was trying to get in their brain, like, what are you doing now? Just like we, we say, the match has already started. Well, literally, it had already started at that point, and they, you know, weren't weren't following through on those so that's what we were there to kind of model and teach and i was you know polite and nice about it but those are i think that's a huge opportunity for improvement from every single amateur that i saw 100 percent agree the the focus and mindset of individuals varies from shooter to shooter but on a parallel to that watching other people and being very cautious about letting other people pull you out of that mode of focus mm -hmm. it's infectious being focused is infectious and being unfocused is also infectious. <laughs> it's a distraction it's, for it's sure. It's very easy to become distracted. And if some, if you feel like you're, you know, you're doing your job, here's one of the things that I noticed early on when I was shooting. If I was focused and everybody else was chatting and have a good time, I felt a little bit like the ugly duckling, odd, odd man out, because I wasn't engaging in conversation and I didn't want them to think I'm not being sociable. So then I would maybe try to start chit chatting more. 
before I knew it, all of a sudden, I'm just laughing away and I realize, hey, it's your turn to shoot. There's two parts to this that's really like, potential negative for you. And it has to do, one with you, right, Chad? Was, you were just talking about the, the ability to stay engaged and being prepared to shoot your stage. The other part of this disruption is that if you aren't prepared, you also slow down the match flow. What yeah. does that do? There's two sort of big ones in my brain. One is the obvious one. It slows the entire match down, so everybody has to take longer to finish the match, which means you have more energy expended because you're on the range longer. I mean, strategically speaking, that is a bad thing. You want to be in and out as fast as possible to conserve as much energy as you can. But that's a net for the whole field. You either all suffer or nobody suffers. <laughs> so do yeah. your part to make sure few, as few people are suffering as long as possible get your stuff together and get out um but the unknown and i sort of the other one that people overlook frequently when it's your turn to shoot the longer each person takes on the stage plus their prep time plus to shoot understand of course fire etc engage right if that stacks to your squad the the more chance that the wind is likely changing and most likely going up in the in the first part of the morning your first three four five stages may be lower wind call like they may have a lower wind value the faster you shoot as a squad or the faster you shoot as a match you know if we all promote ourselves moving quicker Mm -hmm. the better likelihood that you shoot in the same wind condition you just shot or at least even lower conditions and get through more stages before the wind really starts to eat your lunch can't emphasize this enough because it's not something that you can specifically control but it's up to you to not lollygag if you have you and a buddy finish shooting a stage he goes to pull your brass and you're the guy who's turning around, pulling your chamber flag, just, you know, hang, it's in your hand now, just sitting there, not in your rifle where it's supposed to be as soon as you're done, but you're just like looking back, it's like, hey man, anybody see where that go? It doesn't make any sense. And you're doing the full match stage decap. While you're still on the prop. While you're on the prop, not collecting your brass. And then your buddy stops picking up brass to answer your question. Then you guys start a conversation. That's usually 30 to 50 seconds, whether or not it feels like it. It takes 30 to 50 seconds. If done right, it takes six. Drop yeah. your mag, and put the in your flag, between, pick up your gun, and move. difference between adding 30 to 50 seconds on 20 shooters is 10 to 15 minutes per, per stage. stage. It's ridiculous. So, yeah. so yeah, be respectful of the RO's time, of the match director's time, of the, your, your friend's time, and just um, mag out, chamber flag in, walk away. Yep, and instantly. you can always lay down next to it and see how you missed the target or see the, how you engaged the wrong target or whatever it was. Um, yeah, I, I, I had to politely, hopefully I got the point across to at least two people that I can remember. Um, and it, it's definitely appreciated if you can, you know, expedite that process. And yeah, it, we're not trying to be mean about this. Like, and we're not in the back, like <laughs> this isn't negative. This is a learning opportunity. Most people don't realize they're doing it. I don't. I didn't until I noticed other people doing it and realized I think I do the same thing. Yep. So what else you got? Um, I want you to go into one of yours because okay. I know fundamental. I have one, but it's. I want to tie it into one of the things you're going to talk about. I sure, I'm sure. Um. So before we get into the fundamentals of marksmanship, <laughs> bullet points, because I feel like. I was down by the AMs a lot. Like, I would just sit next mm-hmm. to them or stand next to them, like, right next to them, in their face almost, just to make sure that they weren't forgetting anything and, and um, they were making good trigger presses. But but before we get to the tangible type things, I think um, one other thing I'd like to touch on 
right after the focus element is emotion. And I think I've heard it many, many times on Morgan King's podcast where he talks about shooting with a lack of emotion. I think it's a very powerful um, way to describe what I saw uh, recently at the Gap Grind and then at other matches. And when I say emotion, I don't say um, frustration or I don't say excitement. I, I literally mean emotion, which is both of those things, um, good or bad emotions. And one thing I saw was a lot of overconfidence because the targets were a little bit larger than normal. Um, these rifles have extreme amounts of precision, um, and you're getting help from you know pros that are you know at the top of the the, the um, standings in the PRS. But you still need to make every press perfect, and you need yes. to you need to um, not rush it. You need to make sure that you're focused, but you're still open to the opportunity of hearing and reading and and watching things. I think emotion um, creates tunnel vision, whether it's good or bad, and it can create um, it can pull you out of your process. So the amateurs in a lot of cases that are shooting the matches for the first you know match or first few matches they probably don't have a real defined process yet and that's that's one thing but but i will say if you can pull your emotions out of this you will be much more successful you'll be much more open to uh what you see and what you need to do and the the um the efficiency of motion and 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 everything else you will be less distracted if you can take away good extreme good emotions or extreme bad emotions you yep. know what i'm saying and i, I want to follow that one up with a way to one of the causes of emotions that i've noticed from from the grind and from other matches as well is wind anxiety yeah prior to a stage the most common question i saw if there was anything that people would ask of us more often than not it's hey what do you what do you think about the wind like that and, it's, and it wasn't asked in a way like they already had a plan it was asked as in a way, I, I, I'm not really sure I want to even tell you what I'm thinking because I'm not sure that if I say it, I don't want to act like an idiot or look like a fool. I just, what do you think about the wind? Is, you know, is it this? You think maybe this or this? It's like, look, I, you know, the wind is always changing. So it's going to, I mean, the only certainty about the wind is that it's never the same. And the, while that's like, oh, yeah, that should give you cause for concern. <laughs> <laughs> that's the point. What's the point in trying to be concerned about it if it's always different? Like, there, there is no way to predict the wind. So, therefore, why is this important? Well, I don't want to say there's no way to predict the wind, but there's no reason to talk about there's 10 no shooters reason. before you're shooting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the, the time at which you talk about it matters just as much as how much emphasis you put on it and how you ask that question. A, if you ever ask the question, hey, what do you think about the wind? One, it should be within five minutes of after you've studied for 10 minutes and within two minutes or three minutes of you shooting, that should be approximately when you, you may maybe talk about it for a split second. Prior to talking about it, you should already have a plan. I think it's this. So if it's good, better, best wind, right? Or medium, small, medium, big winds, however you want to use it, use a three-part bracket. Come up with a plan that makes sense to your brain based on what you see and say, this is what I'm reading it as, this is what I measured it, do you think this makes sense? And use history as a base. Because I noticed a lot of people, and this is a, I mean, again, please, if you were one of the people and you remember asking us this, don't take offense. This is just learning experience. All weekend, what's the most win you held all weekend at that match? 
Three tenths. Three tenths. I held 0.25. Mm-hmm. I held a 0.25 right all the way to 0.1 left. My total bracket was 0.3 mils out to 900 yards. Technically, I think we shot 1,000 once, or mm-hmm. just about 1,000. Yeah, 970 or something. Yeah. So 0.3 mils at those distances, I never once held any more. That's a pretty small amount. If you know that you have, in four stages, not shot anything over 0.2, unless you've had a shot that's missed, you know, a mil left or a mil right, you, you pr- and it was truly not due to you, I don't think you have a big cause to be concerned about the wind. If it, you actually be better off to make a game plan and use what you know and go, I think it should still be one-tenth left, and then watch your shot, break it, and learn from it rather than trying to rely on someone else. Because talking about someone else or talking with someone else about your wind calls and about what you see, what you think you're feeling, especially as a newer shooter, it's probably less relevant than just the experience you just had. Also, that your rifle is different. Um, good example, shooter A and shooter B at this mat at the gap grind. You know, Shooter A is having is a perfect rifle in the sense that it's hitting zero. I can tell in no wind he's on zero. At 500 yards, he's holding a tenth left, which matches you know what I expected to see. And at 1,000 yards, he might be a tenth or two left. Shooter B is a tenth right to hit in the same condition at zero, a tenth, two tenths right at 500, and like half a mil right at 1,000. Mm-hmm. That is physically impossible if given the calibers two, they were shooting. If those two dudes are talking, then they they're going to trade every other stage. Other. Every other stage, <laughs> they're going to get a zero. <laughs> yeah, and it's confusing each other, and... This is a real scenario. This happens all the time. So, so you and I had a pretty good interaction. We've now worked it out to a science in, a, in one respect. When we zero, we shoot adjacent dots using the same relative aim point that's very fine, right? We take a smallest circle we can find or the smallest feature we can find on the board, including staples. We should, maybe we shouldn't have said that because no. now that... <laughs> Don't say that. Because now people are going to shoot all, all the tables. Up. Yeah, if there's nothing left on the target, shoot that. That's our last resort. But we'll take a target and we'll find the corner. Top, I'm like, hey, this dot, this row, this board, top left corner of this one, you shoot the top right corner of that one or the next one over. Um, and we'll compare our zeros to make sure they are relative to another. We know what our offsets are. So I know for that match, my zero was 0. 0.02, 0. 0.04, right of center, and 0. 0.02 high. So, I mean, effectively zero and zero, but I would hedge more towards zero plus a half a tenth right. Yeah, Yours was a half a tenth left. Yeah, just under half a tenth left. So our total gap, you you should have been holding more right all day than I was by one tenth. Yeah. And that was exactly the case. Yep. We followed each other, and at the, after the stages are done, we're asking, hey, man, did you hit what you thought? Yeah, you were at point one right. Yep, because I was at straight up. Perfect. Mm-hmm. And we, we were able to confirm that, but we know... We are so confident in each other's ability to hit exact point of aim, point of impact, that like we can talk in half tenths and tenths and be confident that that's the right number. But if you're talking to a new shooter or you are the new shooter, I, I don't, I'm not trying to be biased. You may not be capable of shooting the precision consistently enough to know that you can talk in tenths and have, have it be meaningful. Mm-hmm. And knowing what we know about how hard it is to shoot uh, a perfect zero with three shots and know where <laughs> yeah. your average center of your group is. <clears throat> yeah. You could be off by one to two tenths. You know, mm-hmm. you got parallax, you got somebody said that they were using a different bag for zeroing 
that they do for long range. You know who you are. I know. We know we put that to, Don't to the do bed. That anymore. That's never going to happen again. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. And we're not, those are little things yeah. that um, some people don't think about, but, but you should always be shooting the same equipment that same you're shooting. Gear. Yeah. So and, the wind apprehension, I want to just end that one and then you move into your next topic. Wind apprehension, don't let it cause the uncertainty. Get past it, make a plan, shoot the stage and rely on what you know from the past. Just keep a history of it so you can move forward. Mm hmm. But yeah, you were talking about using the same gear, and I wanted you to cover that because you're the king of using the exact same stuff, right, <laughs> Mister 2018 chassis? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, let me just say one more thing about your wind apprehension. I like how you put that. I like I like jamming those two words together. Um, you cannot, you could not give people corrections without them sending the the perfect round, and yeah. that that opens up Pandora's box to all the opportunities for improvement in executing the fundamentals of marksmanship that we saw this weekend or that weekend and then every other time I've shot with newer shooters on the squad I mean we've said this before and I just keep going back to it if you don't send the round with perfect um, having it leaving the barrel with perfection then you can't really make a perfect correction downrange based on that information so everybody wants to watch their shots and make a correction but they're leaving a lot on the table if they, you know, if they're correcting off of a not a perfect shot. And this is common sense, but if you're not doing everything that you possibly can to have perfect fundamentals, and I guess when it comes down to it, what are the most important fundamentals? In my opinion, it's natural point of aim and a perfect trigger press and follow through. Um, I still saw a bunch of people, you know, flicking the trigger, not following through on the trigger. And having not having a 90 degree trigger pull, lots lots of people, and I understand under the time pressure of a stage and shooting off props that you're not familiar with, but I still saw it in prone positions and modified prone positions, and I could tell that it's not ingrained in those shooters' process to think about their trigger pull, and mm-hmm. it's one of the only things I think about once I've built my stable position with my rifle at its NPA is engaging that trigger at 90 degrees and actually pulling that trigger straight all the way to my shoulder and holding it back until the round lands. And if I forget about doing that one time, like walking myself through that in my mind's eye, if I forget about it, it's still probably pretty darn good because I've done it. That's all I do. That's that's all all I practice. I hope that if anybody scrutinizes a trigger pull of mine ever in the future they see that it's 90 degrees and i held that trigger back i i I challenge somebody to videotape me jerking the trigger or flicking the trigger it's just it just has to be that it has to be that ingrained in your process so that you don't do it yeah i'm actually kind of hopeful on a side related note that some there's some products that will help be good for that yeah 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 but it's still um I, i think it's the recoil impulse that has people Surprise! So that's why I love the Maverick. I really like people mm-hmm. that are now moving towards shooting with suppressors. I prefer the Maverick because the duration of the actual impulse is shorter than a full suppressor. Agreed. But I still think there's a benefit once you get used to a suppressor. There's a benefit of that reduced conduct concussion, the reduced audio auditory um, auditory is really low. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like slower. people are flinching less. People are. Um, anticipating recoil less because of it and I think that that is one of the things that makes people flick their finger off the trigger and not follow through 
Yeah, sympathetic motion and sympathetic responses are really, really difficult to untrain. So a sympathetic motion is if you're squeezing with your right hand, it's hard for you not to sympathetically want to squeeze with your left hand. If you're tightening up with your right hand, it's more likely you're also tightening up with your left. Yeah. And that creeps all the way through your body. And oh, it, yeah. It's, so if you think tight, guess what? More, more than just your hand is tight in all likelihood because it's very difficult to isolate one, mus- muscle, one muscle in a motion. Um, bodybuilders, right? In fact, if, if you look at bodybuilding and tra- which weight training in general, you know, really good trainers talk a lot about isolating specific muscle groups and specific muscles. It's, there's a reason that there are trainers and there are professional athletes that have to use a trainer who makes 50 to 100 grand a year in order to isolate to a very specific muscle. It's because it is that hard to control to get a specific motion perfectly ingrained and train your neuro, your neuro pathways to only fire that muscle. Mm-hmm. And the trigger press, I you know, you say pull. I like to think of it as a press. I say press. But there, we go back and forth. I, I like know. press better than pull. I, I do like press as well yeah. because it implies that you're using only the tip of your finger or press through the finger. Like I can mm-hmm. press a button. A pull is generally something. I think of a pull. I think of moving my entire arm, or at least, you know, I, you, it's hard to pull on something without engaging all five hand, all five fingers, on a hand and yeah. an arm muscle. So a press can be done with just a finger, but. Yep. Yeah, so sympathetic motion, the suppressor, the maverick, um, double ear, if you don't have those, double ear pro. I can't say that enough. Put in a set of foamies that are the best foamies you can find. Um, There's a set of 30 to 33 NRRs that are pretty good out there. I think 3M's solid foams are good, along with a few others. There's there's several really good foamies that are, or, you know, silicone variants um, that are very, very good for your inner ear. They have to be shallow, and then you can put really good, thin, but good outer ear pro. That'll reduce both the concussion to your ear and to your, uh, a little bit to your auditory canal, but it'll seem way quieter. So that would be my suggestion if you have a break and you haven't gone to it. Also, if you're sensitive to this and you want to test whether or not you see more or less because of your break, um, stick the end of your muzzle out of like a VTAC barricade or a um, railroad tie and shoot th- on through a gap in like a railroad tie. I think if I can explain that, you know, instead of just a, like a standard barricade, find a hole in something that you have to slide your rifle into and most of it is solid except for where your rifle is. And you're through it, fire some rounds through that with your brake. I'm going to guess that you'll see more and feel less concussion. Feel about how you feel the concussion. Then pull it out and go on top. Then pull it out and go onto, a bri- onto like a bench or underneath a pendulum. So like through a porthole kind of through, thing. Yeah, porthole yeah, so up on top so and then off a bench. So it's concealing the partially of muzzle blast Correct. and the, the audible signature. Okay, yeah. and I like from, that. And from doing that, you'll be able to tell right away how much different those blast levels are. And if you don't feel any difference, hey, maybe you're one of the people who's not very sensitive to that concussion. But put yourself on video, and I can almost guarantee you blinked. Yeah. More people than not blink. Yeah, I saw a lot of AMs. Um, Flinch and blink. Just when they're sitting there next to their rifles getting their dope ready. You know, <laughs> they're, like, blinking and stuff with every shot. Um, and so on the rifle, I think on the rifle, on the clock, people are a little, to be honest, if you shoot a lot, you're a little better than, you know, just a surprise bang underneath the pavilion. But, but that, I think means that you might need better ear pro <laughs> yeah if you're if you're just standing next to someone 10 feet away and, and you're 
it's affecting your your body physically, then um, yeah, you might want to double up or figure out something figure out something better. Mm-hmm. So common mistake. So we're ear pro. Get better ear pro. Work on following through. Don't use flinch. Um, flinching is bad. Yeah, and on the following through, I saw a lot of AMs shooting way, way, way too fast. Um, we were giving yes. corrections, so there was Ooh. no there was no reason to to not, to not. Like, there was no reason to fire around without us telling you to do so because we were going to watch and give you corrections. But on top of that, even when we said, okay, make this correction, like, people were, bang, run the bolt, close the bolt. Like, I, there was no reason to be yeah. rushing. I want to give one shout-out to, uh, well, I'm not going to mention his name, but you know who you are in our squad. There was a gentleman who came up to you after the fact, and this every time we... I coached him through like most of Saturday at the end of the second half and all of Sunday whenever I would give a correction he would fire around he'd immediately unchamber it and go to the next target which is completely fine by me I'm watching the target and he would sit with his hand on the bolt waiting for me to finish my correction and as soon as he would yep and I would just hear yep close bolt perfect correction he did exactly what i said next and he'd do the exact same thing he would wait until i finished a correction yep closed his bolt and did it again that i mean that to me shows the type of control that you need to be able to execute if you can restrain yourself to to just wait until you have all the information in order to move forward for the next step you are going down the right path yeah and and that information waiting that you're waiting for might not awesome it might not necessarily be francis giving you a correction it could, it could be, be you waiting, plate. yeah, you waiting for that bullet to land and watching the plate movement, or seeing the dust, or physically measuring the target with your reticle, or the the miss with your reticle, and making the correction. So, mm-hmm. the, the, the efficiency of motion on the clock, running the bolt, or handling your rifle, like there's there's different types of efficiency. You're pretty good at economy of motion with your body, but there's definitely economy of motion with running and manipulating your bolt so that you don't jar your rifle i saw a lot of that as well i saw a lot of people running the bolt so hard that they were canting the rifle and it was kind of a bipod issue it was exacerbated by a bipod issue that just wouldn't lock down um or had a small signature or head or we were on slanted surfaces like that tire and stuff like that people were not cautious about how they run their bolt on stuff that's wobbly or angled and now they've canted their rifle or moved their point of aim away from the target so I think that there's a little bit of opportunity for improvement and just straight up bolt manipulation, how you grab the bolt handle, how hard you run it, how far mm-hmm. you over travel. And I, I worked with my am quite a bit after day one because I saw he was he was literally like grabbing the bolt from the side and, and it was causing his whole arm to lift up. And yeah. then when his arm lifted up, then the rifle would, would move. And he really got that, took that to heart. And, and on day two, he was like, what do you think about my bolt manipulation? I think I said, I think it's way better. <laughs> you, you obviously listened. And then... I think he'll probably go home and work on it even more. But, but yeah, there's 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 little things that that um, will save you a ton of time and um, motion if yep. you're if you're efficient with it. Yep, efficiency of your mind is important, mm-hmm. and that means giving yourself enough time to internalize what you saw, create a game plan to take what you saw into account, finalize the plan, and that means no. Okay, I saw it go here. And then you pick up your bolt and go, no, it should be, cool, I saw it go there. All right, measure, that's this amount. That means I'm going to hold the next round will be at blank amount of wind or blank amount of wind and this much extra elevation. Now move, like finish that thought. 
because it doesn't do you any good to rush off of that position and remember, oh, where was it again? And usually you won't. If you if you haven't solidified, that's as, as soon as I finish that thought, in fact, like one stage I remember very distinctly, first shot, I saw every single round impacting in really, really, really bad conditions. But as I watched one round, I took note of it and I remembered where it was, put my reticle where I needed it, sent it again. That stacked on top of it. Good. The combine of those two is one-tenth high and a half a tenth left. Go to the next target, dial my dope, and I'm now holding half of a tenth lower to see if it stays. If it stays at the same spot, I actually need to go another tenth, if you will, because I'm only cutting half. Those I'm taking half of whatever I see is and miss out. Keep going, going, going. I'm just correcting consistently, but I wasn't leaving the first target after two rounds Absolutely. until I have a perfect plan for the next target i'm dialed and ready to go yeah not yeah i was gonna say not only that yeah you throw your bolt back i don't move my bag one bit not a bit like you my crosshairs are still on the target i dial my dope and then i usually for the course fire can still see the second target for the most part and so then you can pan right to it but if you can't pan right to it in your scope then you should be looking over top of the scope and then get in the scope and it should be um as you pan you should be in the scope close your bolt exhale engage yep. the trigger follow through and and it, it really helps to stay on the course um if you don't leave the previous target until you're all ready to engage the next target that's exactly what i was going to say make sure that's for you to like hashtag asterisk if you can jot this down somewhere in your car pause it write it down if you're on a target as soon as you finish shooting run your bolt open dial your next dope without moving your rear bag so that you're still looking at target one the original target through your scope once everything is done and you are ready to engage now begin your pan to target two. And it's easier to do if you don't lift your cheek off the rifle. If yep. you keep your cheek on the rifle so that when you just you start looking up at your turret, you can still glance down to make sure you're still looking at target one, that you haven't disrupted it. This is also you leak because your best target reference point is the last target. Yeah, absolutely. So if you have that in your scope the whole time, you're in a really good spot. Now, obviously, this applies to specifically prone stages because more often than not, what we notice, people are shooting the wrong target when it was a troop line and targets look identical, stacked left to right or right to left or, you know, going near to far. They would just get lost. They'd pick up one target and they think it was target one. Somehow, between starting the stage and not, they were on target two and they were off the entire time. Yeah, and I asked multiple people on that particular stage, what is your target reference point for target number one? Because I feel like that's the most important point. You need to know where target number one is because they all look the same. And honestly, Shannon did an awesome job um, changing the size of the target so that they, they almost like had the same MOA did they look size. <laughs> so they looked like they were the same distance, <laughs> yeah. but they weren't. And so my biggest concern with all these AMs was getting started on the wrong target. But then once you get started on the wrong target, it's really hard mentally to calm back down and find the right target and then you're shooting out of sequence so you might still need to shoot the target you just shot because now it's your second target if you started on the second target so Mm -hmm. long story short i would ask everybody before they started i'd kneel down next to them check their rifle and say okay what's your target reference point for this first target and some people would say okay that tree or or somebody said the berm all the way to the right and then i'm going to come back and i said well there's something a little bit easier like there's a bobcat to the left of the first target so find the bobcat it's the first one to the right and i do not want you to close your bolt until you've panned to the bobcat even after the timer started i don't care we're going to waste a second here make sure if you're zoomed in far enough to where you can't see it i want you to pan over see the bobcat pan to the right that's your first target it's worth the time you do not want to engage and get your sequence off from the very beginning 
And so I saw a lot of people uh, following those instructions. There was one I missed because it was, I think, right after I shot. There was one person I missed, a couple people after me, and mm-hmm. and they started on the wrong target. And I was like, damn it, I was loading my mag, and I didn't get to talk about that with that person. But anyway, um, having good target reference points, burning down the targets with your binos. Like when you yep. have the opportunity to lay down there and prone in the firing position while somebody else is shooting, rehearse that process, rehearse yep. those targets, make sure your bag and your bipod height is set up such that you don't have to squeeze the heck out of your bag or take your bag down to the thinnest possible level to get to all the targets. These are, these are things that you can use. I saw a lot of people just set their rifle down and then wait to be called. And yeah, there were other people, um, mainly your shooter and my shooter that were kind of mixed in with the pros they were so excited to get down there and start looking with yeah, their rifle they were, were like hey guys I, I i love your ambition but you guys got to move over we got 10 shooters before you guys even think about getting started and they were just trying to get in the mix and lay down and, and yeah. start spotting the targets through their scope i was like yeah this is this is the level of focus you need to have and you need to be prepared. Yeah. And then in doing that, I will disclose that I made a fatal flaw this weekend. I dropped a point because I was excited yep. to rehearse. And we've both done this before. And we were talking. We think it was on the same dang stage. Just it was different on matches. the same stage, for sure. So, so here's the scenario. I laid down, and I was rehearsing the mover and the walkout troop line stage. And I think it was stage 12 or 11 or something like that. And I was rehearsing while other people were shooting. And I was manually, I was physically dialing my turret and I was just, I just wanted to see if, um, I just wanted to see if my cadence was good. You know, I was going to make it through the stage and I was dialing and and wasn't going to be a problem. So I was physically dialing and pretending I was pressing the trigger. I wasn't dry firing. I was just, you know, with my chamber flag and I was just pressing on the trigger and then I'd go up, find the next target dial. I did that right before on the shooter, right before I shot and I left it on the fifth target and um, mm-hmm. started the mover with the fifth target dope on and I saw the bullet hit the berm like five mils above my point of aim and I knew what I did. I was just like kind of bummed about it. So I guess after that I thought, well, what am I going to do to never have this happen again? And I just decided, hey, I'm still going to do this because this this is valuable practice for anybody to be able to dry run this stuff as long as the course fire allows it as long as the match director doesn't have a problem with it there's some i mean if it's a prop you're not getting on a prop do not do no, this in never. a match but normally if it's a prone stage you can have your rifle off to the side even if it's not from the firing line you can still practice this this process and i yeah. just decided hey i'm gonna just take pretend i run my bolt i'm just gonna tap my hand on the top of the turret i'm not actually gonna dial it i'm gonna just gonna t- tap the top pretend I dialed it and then I'm going to engage the next and dry fire, dry fire, dry fire. Um, and then, then it'll always dry fire. We don't mean run the bullet. No, no. We just mean you're touching near the trigger. Well, imagine that I'm pressing the trigger, just going through like mentally rehearsing the stage. Um, and, and then I will still have left my dope on the proper starting target for that stage. Um, I think that this is the first time this has ever happened to me. I mean, I forgot to dial or hold over before, but this is the first time in this particular case where I've dialed um, in practice and then forgot to dial back down to the first target. So yep. just I think that this will help me. This, this will definitely sink, sit in my mind for a long time. So I don't think I'll, I'll do it again for a long time. But 
I also now have thought of a process to avoid that. Is that what I was trying to describe? Yeah, it happened to me as well. So we'll leave it at that because it was the same <laughs> stage. It's just I didn't Different dial. Range. Yeah, I didn't dial at all or I had it off zero. It was on zero. It was on zero. And I went, oh, that be, yeah, okay. Yep, back up to zero. And I was on the correct number. I had to write them. So yeah. I just didn't. Yeah, whatever. Um, so on that, I guess, the, I'm trying to remember. You, met, you said something that I wanted to circle back to in one sense. The... When you're making your shots or you're making your focus and you're looking for TRPs, so you're trying to reference, it's back to the very first point. Being efficient with your time, being frugal with your time, and efficient with your time. And I like the word frugal for what you do with your time, meaning you're not willing to give it to anyone without a good a good reason. You're also not willing to be inefficient with your time just because you think you have a lot of it. When you're looking for your targets, a lot of our, our matches are a... Is that RO option number two? That's where all the shooters, we have somebody running an iPad, but all of the shooters are spotting and calling. If you're behind your glass or if you need to go prep, do that as fast as humanly possible where you do not make any mistakes. So it's up to you to rehearse this as frequently as possible to get good dope, find target reference points from your binos, rehearse the quick TRPs with your scope just by looking through it if you can on like a prone stage if you can't no big deal set your parallax do all that stuff but do that efficiently so that you're not you're not using eight shooters worth of time and then you have one shooter free so that you're not ever able to help spot you're not able to help assist with brass or you're not able to do other things um you know if you're having conversations try to minimize that to no more than a minute like 60 seconds of a conversation so that you can go use that to help another shooter. So use one shooter worth of time, 60 to 90 seconds, to have your conversations. Unfortunately, the next conversations are going to have to wait because you need to help spot and you need to help do this. And, you know, more often than that, don't be the guy who always sits back and doesn't pick five stages that you can help. If everyone has, you know, mathematically, if there's 10 people in a, in a stage uh, or 10 people in a squad, there's 20 stages. If every shooter is the primary for two stages and every shooter is a backup for two stages other than you know when they're shooting you know the whole match is covered and then you have a tertiary you still have six people who yeah and it's to your benefit to be spotting anyway yeah you I need mean, more people on glass normally you want the spotter primary spotter yeah. to be right behind the shooter so you get the best vantage point so i mean i'm always after i'm done shooting it only takes me one shooter to get my yep. mag loaded and put away and then I start spotting. And then towards the end of that, you know, I'll spot for four or five shooters. And towards the end of that, I'll start prepping my dope for the next stage and thinking about the next stage. Or in between shooters, you got 60 seconds. You could be gathering your dope for the next stage. I just, I, I, I want to be on glass anyway. So um, why not? Why yeah. not be spotting? Yeah, my preference is to come off the line and do everything that I need to do for the next stage immediately after I shoot the last stage. That's my preference. Yeah, but this match we couldn't. Yeah, this match was really hard to do that. But normally speaking, like at a normal match, that takes me effectively my shoot. I need two shooters worth of time or about three to five minutes to complete my debrief from the current stage, pack all my old brass, refill mags, put my bags away, read the next course of fire, prepare dope for the next, plus cards, plus mark turrets, grab the bags and put my you know, the equipment I'm going to use on top of my pack so it's easy to grab. I do that within the next two shooters. Now I'm available from two shooters onward to spot, to pick up brass, to do whatever, or if they're telling us to move on, to move on and go spot at the next stage. Mm -hmm. So 
I want to get that done. And there's a specific reason is if I get that done immediately after my stage, not sidebar conversations and forget to do it. One, I don't get distracted. Two, I make far fewer mistakes. But mostly, it speeds up match flow when, I, when I'm getting close to the front of the line. If I'm, you know, shooting second, you know, third, fourth, second, sometimes first, as you get closer to that, your time to shoot advances slightly. And it's not, you don't have that big pause until you shoot first and then the next time you're going to shoot last. Mm-hmm. Now you have a big one. And that's the most dangerous gap, in my opinion, when you have that big pause it's easy to get caught yeah. in the, oh, I'm... That's how you right. get, then like, you get next up in line and you don't have your dough prepared. Yep. Or your mag's not loaded. That is the most <laughs> dangerous. You shoot first, everybody dreads going first. I don't dread that stage. I dread the next one. Yeah, you're <laughs> because you're last. You get, you're last and you're really, really lax. Yep. Um, so, so that brings me to another point, and this is more of a physical limitation. Um, and I'm really proud to say that I don't see this very often anymore. Um, but people have some people and it's probably only five percent of the shooters that i see these days they don't have a level on their rifle and i just i don't i don't understand the the science behind and the there's they're not that expensive even if it's they're 25 yeah even if it's a bubble level um on top of your scope or your scope mount or your pick rail or whatever yeah um this is something that is free information even if you don't look at it we could have used it to help you uh, at the gap grind i saw a couple shooters in adjacent squads and they were making corrections their their spotters were making corrections for them and then the wind calls just kept getting larger and larger each time so the only possible explanation for that is their rifle is getting more and more canted and when you got little kyls and stuff like that it just doesn't it doesn't work out very well in your favor even if it's four or five hundred yards if your rifle starts canting and those targets get down sub minute um so i just uh, I don't know how else to say it, but just please uh, get a rifle or a, a get a rifle level, get a bubble level, level, get a send it. In my opinion, is the most flexible because you can take it off real easy and put it on yep. the next rifle, and it's a lifetime purchase. I'm still using my send it from 2018, and I have three now, so I um, I really think it's a valuable purchase, and it's easy to see. It's just it's just get get something though. Any anything will be better than nothing. Yep. So I've got one or two more. One more that's probably the biggest thing, and then um, I don't know if you have any you've been saving up. You can interject. I have one more, but go ahead. Keep going. So, and then we'll finish it off with a compliment sandwich. The other piece, Mm -hmm. the other slice of bread. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, This is probably the biggest, in my opinion, opportunity for improvement for, for new shooters, for pro shooters, for amateur shooters, for people that have been stuck in the middle of the pack forever. Um... And, and it comes back to what I think is the most important element of what we're trying to do, which is natural point of aim. And I'm just going to break it down to a little bit more specific so that people know what I'm talking about here and they can envision themselves in this scenario and what would they do or how, how do they handle it. But, but, but I just have a note written here that, that it says, you cannot pan or force the rifle onto the target without also settling the bag again. And this means for a rear bag um, and and settling your bipod or making sure that your bipod's not torqued or can't, uh, canted or, or the rubber feet aren't storing some amount of torque into it, but it also is your rear bag. If you're taking your, you have a tremendous amount of leverage with your rear bag to manipulate your rifle to the left and to the right. Yep. And still be perfectly stable with zero wobble burning down that target. And I can tell you for a fact, if you're shooting paper 
in a scenario, you wouldn't be manipulating your bag left and right. Well, if you do, your groups are going to be wider than they should be, but you wouldn't intentionally steer your bag on t- rifle on target with your rear bag when you were trying to shoot your best possible groups. At least I hope you wouldn't. But I see people doing it all the time on troop line stages. I can see by the way they're pushing on the side of their bag with their thumb or their forefingers the other way. And then likewise, when you're on a prop w- with only a bag, a support bag, um, you, I see people getting down and they're not on target and they pan over to the target and then I never see them like saw the rifle down into the bag anymore. I just see them getting it over to the target. If you are not within one target width of that target and you pan over to the target without actually sawing, yeah, yeah, without actually sawing into the bag or shimmying, resettling your bag, then you are not letting that bullet leave the barrel with, with the perfect the perfect trajectory it it will go back to where it wanted to go where it came from so this is just my tip is whenever you have to pan your rifle make sure that you have no energy no torque uh, stored in your system and i don't know a better way to describe that other than um, if you're not within one target width of the target you should not be steering your rifle you should not be forcing your rifle i understand the bags and the equipment we have are so solid that you can do that and still be on the center of the target, but it still hit the target. You, it's hard to necessarily be on the center all the time or know why you hit the center. Well, I'm saying that yeah. your reticle can be stable oh, and yeah, on yeah. the tr- on the target yep. and where you want it to go, where you want to be holding. But the recoil impulse should tell you one thing: it should yep. say, it should act really weird. You're going to get a really weird jump, hard right, hard left, or up, way yep. weird, wonky, and, and that's because yep. you forced it. And I think the sooner the better people get familiar with what that feels like when your rifle is at its natural point of aim the sooner the better yep so that actually was, was i was going to talk not about that but about a prone version of that in manipulation of your rear bag yeah. and your left hand that's yep. something and cheek pressure those yep. three things that was something i saw constantly in prone as i was walking up to shooters um you know there's a common one when you're spotting shots if i see you low right and then high left and then low right and then high left I generally perceive that to be an inconsistent cheek pressure or an inconsistent thumb. You're using a thumb to drive a bag into the side of a bag. Uh, it, this is a little difficult to describe via a podcast, but if, you, if you're prone, most people go in and they squeeze their rear bag. But at times I also see people say use the middle of a schmedium or of a wee bad fortune cookie or something. They use the side of it and they, gr- they pinch one side is like the right fingers or your, you know, you'll say your bag hand, the four fingers of your hand have a bag underneath it and you're not touching the chassis. You're grabbing the actual bag and it's up against the side of your chassis, your buttstock. But your thumb might actually be on the chassis. That makes me nervous. I know. That's exactly what <laughs> I, I saw. I don't ever touch and my chassis I watched my multiple people, instead of grabbing the, the full bottom meat of the bag, sawing the buttstock into the bag and then using, purchasing only the bag with your hand, they would use their four fingers on the on the like on the offside. Their let's call it your bolt side. Four fingers of your bag hand were on the bolt side, but your thumb, your inside or your non-trigger side, non-bolt side, your thumb is riding literally on the stock, and it's pushing. You're squeezing the stock while you're sandwiching the stock between a bag and your other fingers. So you only have let's call it meat and a piece of bread, and then. Versus if you had two pieces of bread, that would be bag, stock, bag. Instead, it's 
stock bag, if that makes sense, left to right if you're looking at it. Yeah. I can think of it like pulling, if you hold a bologna sandwich vertically and you pull off one slice of bread, you have bologna and then a piece of white bread. You want it to be white bread, bologna, white bread. Yeah, yeah. So I think <laughs> if that's... you're doing it really good, it's got it's toasted and it's maybe got some spam in there too. But that's a different that's a different subject. We're going to go later there. I think that's an obvious indication that, uh, of somebody that is steering their uh, rifle yes. with their left hand or their support hand. But it it goes way beyond that. It it goes way more into the minutia because you can still have the bag, uh, the rifle only touching the bag, and you're only touching the bag and not the rifle but you could still be steering it very very easily yes. with your thumb or your four fingers pushing it left to right exactly and that's well the two shooters that i specifically saw using a bag this way and i know this because i happen to go up and check them every time um and i was just like here's our win plan but when i saw them doing that each and every time i also took a quick glance at their cheek pressure they both had you know higher cheeks higher cheek pieces which means harder cheek welds. They have more of their head on the rifle. And they both had a pretty decent squish going on from their cheek down. So not only were they driving the rifle with their left thumb hard into the bag, like white-knuckled, couldn't see blood flow into the tip of their thumb because they were squeezing it so hard, but their cheek was also squished really hard. Yeah. That means they're in a battle at the back of the rifle between their weight of their 10-pound head pushing down and holding, being held up by a thumb that's going to hold 10 pounds. So put, go put a 10-pound weight on your thumb and see how long you can hold it there without moving it in space more than about one thousandth of an inch. Or, yeah, and balance it there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's basically what you're asking it It doesn't do. happen. You have to know how to do it so that there's no extra forces. You know, get your cheek off the rifle, get your rings higher on the gun so that if you, if you use ones and you feel like you're squishing and you can't get the cheek piece any lower, man, go to 1.3s. Hell, go to 1.4s or 1.5s. It'll make your life a world better because you can always raise your cheek piece a quarter yeah. of an inch to make it fit. Um, if you don't believe that it's a real thing, just try it and shoot paper. Like Yeah, it's and, easy. And Squish down and raise that dang thing way up. And so, <laughs> and I guess the last thing I'll say on this topic, and I'm kind of personally I'm out of things to say um, just off the top of my head anyway but um, if you watch a video of Francis or I shooting us any stage you will watch us almost be fidgety um, when we go to the next target it almost looks weird it's like well maybe they're just fidgeting around or moving around even in a prone position you will watch me pan to the next target I'll squeeze my bag um, Super uh, hard. Hard, higher than it needs to go yep. so that I smash the fill back to the center, and that'll, that'll put me below the target, and I will saw the buttstock down until it's packed right up to the target. And yes. now I know when recoil happens, that buttstock cannot go down, and I'm not, I'm not squeezing it left and right. I'm just getting fill underneath it, and there's a little on either side, and then I clamp it down. And I also test this with my right hand, my grip hand, and I pull it into my shoulder a couple times especially on troop line stages where you know you got a ton of time and i pull that pull that uh, stock back into my shoulder simulating recoil a few times and if that re if that radical doesn't go left or right i know i'm straight behind the rifle i know that my grip hand is pulling back straight into the rear then i engage a trigger and i bet you and we should try this just impromptu i'll record you when you don't know and you do the same to me i bet you that you will see us settle that rear bag in a sawing motion or settle the front bag in a positional stage when we get to every single target and i did not see any of the amateurs doing that and if they did it was not with enough aggression like that bag yep. should be doing all the work 
and then your hand should just be supporting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, that's about it. I mean, to recap on why that's an issue. So driving the, the rifle, you talked about bag position and settling the gun into the bag, you know, getting it all comfy and NPA'd with some mo- aggressive motion to channel the bag. Don't pan left and right, and then don't do anything, and just assume it's there. I saw the, you know, the similar concept with affecting dope downrange by driving it with their thumb and squeezing a bag and head pressure all playing with the buttstock. That's high left and low right. If you see that string constantly where you're battling high lefts and low rights. For a right-handed shooter. For a right-handed shooter. Or if you're lefty, low lefts, high rights. It is something to do with your alignment with your cheek and your non-shooting hand, your bag hand. Just putting that out there now for you to go try it on your own. Um, Let's get into the compliment side, and I think maybe we can wrap it up. Positivity. Holy crap. Everybody was positive all weekend at the Gap Grind, and most of the people I shoot with up at the Michigan series, I mean, for having a zero or a two, and you know, we didn't <laughs> yeah. see many of those at the Gap Grind. Our, no, our, am, it was our squad cool. was, was killer, but but if you can shrug off a, a, a low score on a stage and stay positive all weekend, then you know you're you're worlds ahead of some people I see that spend you know five to ten thousand dollars on their rig and another few thousand dollars in their match bag and another few thousand dollars on their clothes and they get so angry when they um they have a bad stage and carry it on it's not we've talked about it it's not constructive and i I was just so proud of our squad at the gap grind there there was nobody not a single person that got frustrated the whole weekend it was awesome it was so much fun it was um the the other positive that i want to leave with all the shooters in our squad seem to be far more centered than I ever imagined that I even remember from the far we we had such a good time getting these guys on guys and girls on center that I was blown away like I hope Shannon's targets are buckled dead center in this cup from how many rounds Satellite we dishes. threw dead center uh, on his target so uh, it was amazing to watch uh, and I really hope that everyone who shot that match got a ton from it I know this this almost feels like a third um, you know, gap grind match or a second gap grind, you know, recap, but it's, it's not intended that way. This is more of a deep dive for anybody who's out there because we got to see so many people in the same conditions at the same time. It's really fresh in our brain. So we were able to take that and hopefully give all the listeners who, even if you didn't shoot this, you know, this should be one of the best episodes you've listened to as a newer shooter, because it'll help you avoid some of the really big pitfalls, not only in practice, but also in matches get more points on the board with a lot less effort and good focus and keep you a little bit more energetic at the end of the day. Yeah, buddy. And remember, own it every day, bro. Because the match has already started. Yeah.